We are live from Kansas City. Everything's working. And Tony Silva is here with me tonight, listening audience. A a, a great person. I, I've looked at uh, some of your stuff online, Tony, um, over the past few months. And we don't really know each other, but I know a lot about you. And I've talked to a lot of people that know you and respect you and love uh, what you do in the the world of agriculturism, so to speak. And listening audience, we're going to talk about um, diet and how to control aggression and something Tony brought up earlier about how to cure beak and feather disease with echinacea. Go, Tony. All right. So, you know, I thought we would discuss diet because to me it is one of the it's the peak of the pyramid in, in bird keeping. If you don't have a good diet, you will have problems. When we look at the evolution of aviculture in, in the U.S., it really started in 1975 with a television program that lasted about three years called Beretta. And Beretta had a trained Triton cockatoo uh, that Ray Berwick had trained and was part of the show. The cockatoo would talk, would answer the telephone, would drink gin. And that sort of created a huge interest. And as a result, a massive importation of parrots into the U.S. Uh, many species were poorly known in aviculture. So what happened is, is that these birds were coming in and they were quickly showing signs of illness. Uh, avian uh, veterinary medicine was in, was in its great infancy. In fact, you could almost say it, wasn't, it hadn't been born yet. So there were lots and lots of problems. And slowly over the next decade, say through the early 1980s, it became very important um, that to understand that diet was one of the key elements. If we did not give these birds a proper diet, they would acquire all kinds of diseases. If we gave them a good diet, they could have a long life. In fact, I think one of the reasons why we're seeing so many long-lived birds today is because we have mastered diet. We've not mastered it fully. There are still huge gaps, but certainly it, it is much better than in the 1970s um, through the early 80s. Mm. So now that we know that diet is, is very important, let's look at the role that parrots play in their environment and then how to tie that back into captive diets. Up until about three years ago, it was assumed that parrots were destroyers of the environment. They would chew leaves, pods, uh, seeds, palm seeds, droops, anything they touched they would destroy, um, and therefore they really didn't play a key role in their environment. Today we know it's very different. In fact, in parts of South America where parrot populations have been annihilated and the forests were basically untouched, the regeneration of the forest has stopped. We now know that parrots transport uh, and drop about 30% of the seeds, pods, etc. that they harvest. They drop them about uh, a distance of about 1.5 kilometers or almost uh, a little bit more than a half a mile from the feeding site. So therefore, they keep the forest alive. They drop seeds that when they touch the ground, germinate. Now, in order for them to feed and not compete with monkeys and other mammals, including fruit bats and other birds, they have evolved to eat fruits green, seeds green, pods green. Almost everything they eat is unripened. 
And when they drop it, obviously it would ripen on the forest floor, but they harvest the stuff when it's not ripe. So they avoid competition with monkeys and fruit bats and fruit eating birds that like fruit at their peak of ripeness. When the parrots feed on these green elements, these unripe foods, they, they are exposed to foibles and toxins. The plants produce these toxins in order to deter uh, uh, any, any animal, including birds, from eating them green because they don't get a chance to ripen, and therefore they're not at their peak of fertility and therefore at their peak of germinating. So the parrots, when, when, when they feed on these green things, they eat either clay, although that's a minor role, or bark. That plays a significant role. So they eat green foods that have toxic elements. They eat bark. The bark binds with the toxic elements in the crop and the gut, and it's defecated. And therefore, they can feed on very toxic plants without having any, any effect. It's a very interesting aspect of parrots. What this teaches us in a captive environment is that we shouldn't really be feeding these birds these very sweet fruits that have evolved for the human palate. I was in Russia earlier this year lecturing at a veterinary zookeepers conference, and uh, there was a wild apple tree growing on the facility. And I grabbed it, and then I took a juicy apple from the, uh, from the lunchroom, or the restaurant that they had where, where that served as our lunchroom, and then I walked around and, and gave it to, to one of the macaws. When the macaw tasted the bitter, astringent wild apple, it immediately started to feed on it. And it dropped the ripe, sweet, juicy um, apple in favor of the, of the bitter fruit. What it did is that, that incident served me to, to convey the message that when we select fruits, we need to select heirloom varieties that are not the sweet, sugary, junky fruit that most of us eat. We shouldn't be feeding grapes. We shouldn't be feeding apples. We shouldn't be feeding any of these things that are, that are packets of, of sugar, certainly no bananas. When you look at wild parrots, and I've been fortunate to have seen species on every continent, and to have observed in the wild the vast majority of the 370 parrots. When I see them feeding on bananas, they feed on green bananas. They don't feed on ripe bananas because if they wait, then they're competing with fruit bats, which are, which are a key feeder of bananas. So what do we feed them then if we can't? It's a question that people often ask. What can we feed them since we can't feed them ripe fruit? Well, I think we really need to focus in our captive diets on a vegetable base. We need to feed them lots of vegetables and lots of greens, along with either a seed or a pelleted diet. Now, some species do best on a seed diet. Some do best on a pellet diet. I don't believe there is one diet that suits everything. In fact, what we know about bird diets is basically an extrapolation of chicken or poultry research. We know what poultry require, what poultry requires in terms of vitamins, mineral, calcium, etc. But we really don't know about parrots. We're just extrapolating. We're extracting data from the poultry industry and applying it to exotic birds. There's some issues there because poultry are ground feeders. Um, they live on the ground primarily, um, though they will roost in trees at night. 
uh, and they have a short lifespan. Parrots have a much longer lifespan, and almost all species are arboreal. There are some terrestrial parrots. They're the minority. So they are, they're exposed to bark and, and many elements that they would not, that the chickens or the poultry would never be exposed to. And yes, there are varieties of, of wild chickens. There's jungle fowl is what they're called. So to extrapolate the diet from poultry research means that either parrots are very successful uh, and very adaptable as a species or that we've been very successful with diets. And I think it's really that they are such a tenacious bird that they will survive even on, on relatively poor diets, although it does affect their health. When you look at records from the 1800s, it's very evident that parrots were basically given no water because it was believed they did not need water. There are records, for example, from London Zoo of a Vasa parrot living 55 years without water. And simply that was because they were extracting whatever juice or whatever fluids they needed from the little amount of fruit they were fed. So they're extremely adaptable. They're extremely successful because they are simply adaptable. Uh, in captivity, I always recommend that we feed a large amount of vegetables. And with things like sweet potato and pumpkin and carrots, we should steam them. Because by steaming them, we break the fibers and give the birds access to beta-carotene, which is a, a, a very important element in their diet. Many parrots suffer from vitamin A deficiency, so this beta-carotene becomes vitamin A. So lots of vegetables, um, and you can feed them just about anything. Because their tongues are dry, you can feed them hot peppers. In fact, hot peppers are excellent because they're rich in vitamin A. You can give them broccoli. Again, I like to steam broccoli just because it is part of a, of a family of, of uh, vegetables that can cause some problems. Um, so we would steam or blanch or even parboil carrots, broccoli, um, cauliflower, all of these things. They should all form the brunt of the diet. And there's really no limit. You can use beets. You can use zucchini. Uh, you can use things like celery, although celery is almost all water. It's an excellent source of fiber for birds like eclectus. Eclectus have a very long intestine, and therefore they require a fibrous diet. Um, you can give lots of greens from kale to spinach. Now, if you are breeding birds, you obviously want to limit the amount of spinach because of the oxalic acid. It, it, it sort of disturbs the absorption of calcium that the hens need to produce eggs, um, to put the covering, the eggshell on an egg. So the ideal diet would be 30 to 40% vegetables and the rest either pellets or uh, some of these chop mixes. You can use all kinds of cooked grains. You can use whole grain pasta, brown rice, you can use quinoa. You can use lots of grains, uh, except for eclectus. Eclectus don't do very well on all of these cooked processed foods. They really should get a lot of fibrous vegetables, no pellets because they seem the coloring agents in some pellets or the concentration of vitamins seems to disrupt their digestive system and lead to something called toe tapping where they basically clench their feet and open and close their toes. And then nuts for macaws, 
Um, you can also use whole grain bread smothered in, in almond butter or in a good grade peanut butter um, or even in walnut uh, uh, butter. butter. Yep. You don't want to feed raw peanuts and you don't want to feed peanuts because of the risk of aflatoxins. Because so of peanuts the shell and the mold inside the shell. Correct. Right. But when they process, the heating uh, destroys the aflatoxins. Right. I fed peanut butter in my first experience with hand feeding uh, cockatiels. Um, a friend of mine in Florida, which is where I first had my, my first experience with any kind of birds, pet birds. Um, I got hired as a bird salesman down there uh, a long time ago in the early 80s and uh, met someone that had an aviary of cockatiels uh, breeding them, I guess. Oh, he had about uh, 10 or 20 pair. And he was uh, adding peanut butter to the hand-feeding formula. We, we do that and simply because we know that when parrots breed, they breed when the fattiest foods are available. Why? Because fat foods keep the, the chicks content, they feel full, and therefore they don't cry. Imagine if chicks in the wild did not have enough fat in their diet. They were hungry, they would cry, they would be sort of raising an alarm for a predator. Exactly. So. We do feed we do feed our birds fat. What we do is we feed uh, nuts and whole grain bread with these with these butters, uh, walnut butter, or almond butter, or macadamia butter. You can use all of them to our macaws, and then we do feed um, a little bit to African greys. There are those are the two groups that have basically evolved to eat on fatty foods. Macaws, the large macaws, have such a large beak, not because they look beautiful. Uh, but because they have evolved to be able to harvest palm seeds. And some palm seeds are extremely hard. Grays have evolved to eat the covering of palm seeds. They feed on uh, a significant portion of their diet is African oil palm. So what they do is they extract the, the oil from the fatty fibrous covering of the seed. They can't crack the seed. Um, but they do eat the, the exterior. So those are two species that require fat in their diet. Amazons and, and um, cockatoos can suffer from obesity, tumors, etc. as a result of the diet. So they would want a low-fat diet. So there's really no one diet for all. You basically have to tailor it for different groups. Right, so the bigger birds probably more fat is what I've... Uh, generally, generally, you would look at, say... Like the large macaws, more fat? Yes. You would look at, say, South America, large, higher fat, Australia, uh, low fat, all of Australia, because most of Australia is dry. There are not really fatty foods there available for these parrots, except in the far north for palm cockatoos. You would say Africa, Central Africa would be fatty, Outside of that area, you're looking into drier habitats. So Senegals don't need a high-fat diet. The beak also tells you the bigger the beak, the more powerful it is, the larger the food they would feed on, and therefore the higher the fat. And how would this relate? Um, now, we're uh, listening audience. I'm talking to Tony Silva, uh, a well-known aviculturist and 
um, I noticed that you're also the former curator of, is it Laurel Parque? Laurel Park is the, the largest, they have the largest parrot collection in the world. Nice. And we're talking about some diet for parrots, and Tony is describing uh, a lot of what parrots would eat in the wild and what they would eat, or what parrots from different regions of the country, or the country, the world would eat as they're indigenous to. Would this also, Tony, would this also apply um, these this dietary um, uh, regimen that you're talking about? Would it still apply to domestic? It does. It does. Evolution is not has not changed. In fact, when we look at, for example, probably the most common pet bird around the cockatiel. When we look at cockatiels, cockatiels were the first domesticated parrot. From the 1800s on, they started to breed. They bred well. We are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of generations from the wild birds. They evolved in a dry environment where they were exposed to basically um, just uh, shoots and seeds. And that's why cockatiels, most people say, well, my cockatiels won't eat fruit. Well, they really have not evolved to eat fruit, and therefore they have retained that natural instinct. Cockatiels, in fact, should not be fed anything sweet because that sweetness increases the risk of yeast. And yeast is probably the number one killer of baby cockatiels. Uh, when the parents are fed all of these sweet things, sweet corn, apple, uh, etc., and they're forced to eat it, because they, 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 we believe that it's good for them. It isn't. We, we give them this stuff, so they feed it, and then they feed it on, uh, to their chicks. The most successful cockatiel breeders feed a lot of greens, some germinating seeds, and either a good seed mix or a pellet mix. And that's what I recommend. I don't recommend fruits for cockatiels. If they will eat a, a little bit of egg food, if you're breeding them, and egg food is basically boiled eggs, whole wheat, breadcrumbs, chopped endive, or you could use kale, or you can use a little bit of spinach, and whole grain uh, wheat meal um, or wheat germ. And, um, you know, I think I mentioned already some grated carrot. It's basically a crumbly loose mix that's fed to the parents. I've seen people add grated, grated apple to that. And then they say, geez, my chicks all die at three to four weeks of age where they were just contaminated with yeast that arose from the sweet apple, from the sugar contact. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Over 30 years ago, I worked in a major franchise pet store as a bird salesman, where I learned some basic bird behavior training and grooming. There were birds in the store that could not be sold as they were too vicious or afraid of people. They often bit people that tried to handle them. I still remember thinking that it would have been so great if people could have enjoyed those birds instead of struggling with them. Since then, I've helped some friends and neighbors with their birds along the way in my life. About seven years ago, some friends that have seen me work with birds encouraged me to develop my bird experience with exotic birds into a business. KC Bird Whisper International are dedicated to the enjoyment of pet birds and promotion of related products, services, and events. I hope you enjoy KC Bird Whisper International productions and support our efforts to provide rich, informative media 
to the avian public and people thinking about getting a bird. Please visit www.birdtalkradio.com again soon and enjoy our internet radio broadcast of Bird Talk Live Online and our podcast on podbean.com. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Thank you for tuning in today.